If you think your job is tough, imagine having the job of transforming CIA for the digital era while we are facing unprecedented threats. We are delighted today to be talking with Jennifer Ubank. Jennifer is the Director of Digital Innovation at CIA. Jennifer's job is to transition CIA into the modern era, the digital era. Jennifer comes at it from the point of view that it's not just the technology. This is somebody that has served for years overseas in past experiences as a chief of station. Jennifer knows how to run operations. She knows how to integrate the best talent, how to partner with the best firms. She knows how to make things happen. And she'll tell you that if you're going to make things happen, you've got to move at the speed of mission. A lot to get at today in looking at what the CIA is doing to keep us safe and transform enormous amounts of data that may have threats buried into it into actionable intelligence and insight. There's real drama and there's fake drama. A lot of what happens in Washington is pretty much fake manufactured drama. Again, I don't mean to minimize it, but when somebody approaches me, you know, breathless with some urgent challenge, um, I have to admit, I, I often ask two questions. Is anyone dead and is anyone in jail? And if the answers are no, I say, okay, just pause for a moment, let's talk. GovCon different. Ideas from the outside apply to GovCon to drive change. So Jennifer, it is great to talk with you again today. Yeah, it's wonderful to talk to you, Eric. And I see it looks like you're in your home office there, which looks very cool. I see a lot of books behind you. Uh, My question is, have you you read all those books? Um, Maybe not all. Well, certainly somebody in the house has read all of them. I've I've, I've read a number, but uh, yeah, between... uh, the kids, my husband and I, we all read. So. Yeah, I get it. And I've got a lot of books where I've read a lot of parts of them, but I have a lot of books, of course, that I, I go back to again and again. So, yep. but it's very cool. I, th- I have my, I call it my, forgive me, I call it my stack of shame. It's my stack on my nightstand <laughs> that's always very high. And I work through several books at a time. Yeah. So. You know, it's so great to talk with you today. And when I think about your work at CIA and as a director of digital innovation, you know, a lot of people think of warfare and they think of kinetics and they think of boats and ships and all of these different things. Yet I would love to get your perspective on how the national security landscape has really changed. Well, you know, it's a, it's a good question, Eric, and probably a, a great place to start um, because, you know, DDI or Directorate of Digital Innovation is really a reflection of how this landscape has evolved in recent mm-hmm. years. And um, since we have a, a little time, maybe I'll, I'll go back and share just a little context. Yeah. So I I joined, you know, the government um, in the 80s, right? And I was, I was convinced, and yes, I'm that old, um, I was convinced that my mission was to you know, help fight international communism. And it, it sounds almost quaint all these many years later, but, but that's, you know, that's what I felt. That's what I wanted mm-hmm. to do. And, and the world has, as you've suggested, changed dramatically, drastically in these intervening decades, some ways very obvious, in some ways much more, much more subtle. And I think back to those early days and kind of heady days, right? And there was 1990s, the collapse of the Soviet Union, the Iron Curtain came down, and we all talked about the peace dividend. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, put pretty bluntly, the peace dividend turned out to be an illusion. Yes. And then we had this, this moment, you know, great enthusiasm and optimism where we thought that, you know, economic liberalization would transform authoritarian regimes around the world mm-hmm. and somehow... I don't know, create Jeffersonian democracies or something. And and that was an illusion. And um, certainly pursued with the best of intentions, but it didn't work out the way we thought. Mm-hmm. And and for us, when we talk about the national security landscape in the intelligence community, it's really through a pre and post 9-11 mm. frame. Um, because that was the defining moment, the defining moment for our country and certainly for the intelligence community. And so this has been the thing that we've been focused on so intensely now for for 21 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I would just say that, you know, 
the absence of a major international terrorist attack on on the homeland in all these years, I think is, it speaks um, very well of the intelligence community, our military partners, our partners across government, um, all those who've worked very, very hard to support these threats. And and one thing that we learned coming out of 9-11 was, you know, the necessity of having much more integrated intelligence community, mm-hmm. better information sharing, better cooperation. And, and we really have achieved that, in my opinion. And Along the way, you know, we've been criticized uh, a little bit here and there for being maybe too tactical in focus. Mm. I'm not sure that I, I agree with that, but if we are or have been tactical along the way, it's been the nature of the mission, right? Find the terrorists, stop the attack. Yes. And and so while we're focused on all that, and I'm coming back to the main point here, while we're focused on all of that, um, you know, China and Russia have been focused on us. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you know, an unfair question could be, you know, did we somehow miss this? Were we distracted? Did we miss this, you know, incredible transformation in our national security environment, which is the rise of the People's Republic of China, kind of a new sort of adversary with you know, global aspirations and and the resources to potentially achieve yes. those. And so, yeah, and I would say we didn't miss it, mm-hmm. um, but we have pulled in so many different directions all these years. And that's been a real challenge. Well, you know, if I could jump in just for a second, Jennifer, the dynamic aspect of your job and so often you and your teams and the agency do things incredibly well, yet that doesn't make the press, right? And I think no, I think people the would definition be, it does not. <laughs> right. And I think people secret, I think people would be blown away by the pace of threats and the amount of work and the patriots yeah. that I remember when I worked there and friends today, that their lives are dedicated to this mission, right? And so even as I, and I'm sorry to interrupt, I know you're talking about how some of that is no, changing, but the dedication yeah. to it and the amount of work, it's mind-blowing. And I remember back when I was in the agency 20 years ago, it was mind-blowing. You know, Eric, I, I appreciate that. It's, it's very generous of you to, to highlight that for for listeners. Um, it's, it's a mission. It's a calling. Um, many of us, most of us feel very passionately about, about serving. And so, um, the absence of bad things is often a reflection of a lot of hard work that has been going on Mm -hmm. in the background. And, you know, we don't hire people who need public, um, affirmation. Uh, we don't want ticker tape parades or any of that sort of thing. We want to work quietly in the background and do our part. And so, um, I do appreciate you you pointing out, Eric, um, as you did. So um, if I'm talking, just go back a little bit on how the national security landscape has changed and, and the People's Republic of China. And, and a little disclaimer here, when I talk about that, what I'm talking about is the Central Committee and the Communist Party mm. of China and their rule over the country, not the Chinese people, not by long shot. Right. Um, we're talking about a communist regime, an authoritarian regime um, overseeing this this massive country. And so China today presents our most important geopolitical threat for the 21st century. And I think I can say that you know unequivocally. Mm-hmm. And unlike the Soviet Union in the 1980s when I joined, right? So I, I joined with this youthful optimism and passion that I was going to, you know, crush Soviet communism. And but unlike the 1980s, China is effectively competing across every domain. So think military, economic, you know, diplomatic, technological, cultural, you, you name mm-hmm. it. And China's got a program to compete. And, and that makes it a very, very different um, adversary or, or competitor out there. Right. And, and concurrent with this rise, and I think this is really critical when we talk about the national security landscape. It's not just not just the who or the which country, right? But concurrent with this rise has been a dramatic shift in the landscape, the dramatic shift in the national security landscape with the rapid development of technologies. Mm -hmm. And technology is kind of that, it's that intersection now, that technological change, um, primarily but not exclusively in the digital domain where, where my organization works. Really, that has made a huge impact on the national security landscape. Mm -hmm. So think cyber intrusion, cyber attacks, 
um, artificial intelligence, data science, you know, high-powered computing, a lot of other stuff out there that are interesting in and of themselves, mm-hmm. but also are powering you know, amazing transformations elsewhere to include amongst you know, all these various domains within People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. And where this is different, again, if I, I kind of compare that, that moment when I joined uh, the U.S. government and when, and now here we are, um, technology, probably more so than ever, is both a strength and a potential vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? Everything is connected, everything. Ones and zeros do not know international borders. And so in a way we've, we've benefited tremendously from all of these new technologies, but we're also more exposed and potentially more vulnerable than we've ever been. Right. Um, and I think that speaks to a need um, on behalf of kind of the nation, right? Us, our, our friends, our families um, to lift our own digital acumen, our own savvy about how digital technologies can and are being used against us by some of our you know, very aggressive adversaries out there. Let's say back when you and I were younger and back then it was <laughs> tanks on the border. It was, okay, javelin missiles. It was surface to air, tangible things, right? Whereas when we're talking mm-hmm. about China or mercenary groups, a lot of times as citizens, we don't even recognize what's going on because it's somewhat invisible, right? So it's interesting to me as you're talking about that changing landscape, and in some ways you could really sound the alarm, you know, when something kinetic happens, when 9-11 happens, right? Wow, that's a big moment. Yet this is tricky, huh? This is different. A lot of it is unseen. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and there's, there's talk from time to time about, you know, when will there be a cyber 9-11? And, you know, have we already experienced it? And those are kind of interesting debates that I think are, are best handled perhaps over cocktails with friends. But, um, you know, the reality is, as you've said, you know, we've gone from this world of tangible, visible threat to very serious, but often invisible mm-hmm. and clandestine or covert threats. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in, in the more visible world, just think about the last few months. Um, we're talking about the national security landscape. And, um, you know, Russia has launched an unprovoked and illegal war in Ukraine on a peaceful neighbor. Um, tensions are probably higher. They are higher than any time that I can remember across the Taiwan Strait. Um, Think about North Korea. So they've declared that they will use a nuclear deterrent when and if they have to deploy, you know, military against a, a threat. And and Iran, which is in the news from time to time, um, you know, if you believe the press reports, the nuclear breakout timeline for Iran now is effectively zero. Scary. It's it's effectively zero. Mm-hmm. And we have you know, regional conflicts continuing to kind of erupt all around the globe. And if we look back not that long ago um, to the successful strike on Al-Qaeda leader Ayman al-Zawahiri, that's a reminder that terrorists are out there still plotting, mm-hmm. plotting to attack America, um, our allies and our interests. And so I say all that because I started with this comment about how the People's Republic of China is this this, this transformational challenge for us. And, and it is. So what does that mean for CIA, right? We're supposed to do all of this mm-hmm. somehow. And, um, and it means that we really do have to shift our focus, uh, refine our strategy a bit to actually focus more on the major transformation, the thing that will shape the arc of history, which is the development of these new capabilities and this new strategy and this leadership in the People's Republic of China. Uh But we have to find a way to do that while we still have our eye on the terrorist threat because the terrorists are not going away. You know, they're on the battlefield and, you know, they get a vote. So we can't simply walk away and say, okay, success, we're done. We have to find a new way of managing that threat. So a question on that, Jennifer. Please. The You have this incredibly fascinating, yet what I would say wildly difficult job as the director of digital mm-hmm. innovation to say, how do we transform? Just based on mm-hmm. how ably you've discussed existing threats, peer threats, conventional warfare, 
terrorism, cyber, it's all there. And the pace is so incredibly exponential. So how are you and your teams at the CIA really transforming to meet that threat? And it's fascinating, but I got to tell you, in some ways, I wouldn't be eager to be in your shoes. This is a very tough challenge. You know, it is, but but you know we are an organization that adapts, mm-hmm. right? It's the nature of our work, right? If if you don't adapt, you fail. Mm-hmm. If you fail, you're out of business. And so, um, I'm I'm glad to say we're celebrating our 75th anniversary this month, and and I say that because it has been we've had a process of continual adaptation and change since the very beginning, mm-hmm. and so we are nothing like what we were 75 years ago. Um, and so there have been some key moments in that transformation um, as we think about how the world is changing, specifically the digital landscape. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to 2015, not that long ago, now seven years. So we had a study um, and not all studies result in, you know, insight and you know, amazing, successful change. But this one actually worked. Um, and uh, this study recognized that the digital landscape was really changing everything, mm. right? We, we, we needed to adapt to both leverage these new capabilities for our mission and protect the agency um, against those new capabilities being wielded against mm-hmm. us. And that happened against this backdrop of what we, what we saw to be um, the increasingly complex, challenging nature of just doing our more traditional work. Mm-hmm. To our, we, at our core, we are a human intelligence service, an espionage service, and that is you know, recruiting and running sources around the world to give us secret information about the plans and intentions of our adversaries. Mm-hmm. And that work is tremendously challenging. Mm-hmm. Added on top of that, we've conducted technical collection of various kinds all around the world for decades. Um, and that's very challenging too. But we recognize that in order to meet all these challenges, we needed to bring these new digital capabilities in, in a more systematic, thoughtful, and integrated fashion to help unlock success more broadly. Okay. And so we did create this directorate, this directorate of digital innovation um, that I now have the pleasure and the honor of leading. Um, and for, for our, our listeners, I'll just briefly outline um, this organization oversees information technology, so kind of the foundations, mm-hmm. um, data, data policy, data strategy, um, data science, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, cyber collection, cyber defense, uh, and open source collection. Mm-hmm. And so um, you might ask, well, what do those things have in common, right? <laughs> and what they do really have in common are, are two things. Primarily, this is the world of ones and zeros. Mm-hmm. And and they all rely on kind of vast computing power and the ability to, to leverage data. And so we brought all those together in an attempt to kind of I don't know, re-engineer, recalibrate maybe um, how the organization works Mm -hmm. and to make sure that we're integrating all these capabilities across all of our various missions. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I'll mention before um, moving on is that we also have a really important responsibility to help the organization as a whole lift lift our digital acumen, as we like to say. And, And that doesn't mean that everyone in the CIA is going to go through a course to learn how to code Python and write algorithms. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a child of the analog era. Trust me. I'm not going to be studying Python any day soon. Right. Me too. Yeah. But I do. Yeah. But, but we do need to understand how it all works. Like how, what does it do? How does it, how do we accomplish these things? How do we leverage these new technologies Mm -hmm. in a responsible way? We have to be able to do that. And so, um, we have a university, DDI University, it's our schoolhouse, as we call it, um, that provides training and education in sort of a hybrid model, leveraging the best practices of industry. And we do that for officers at any level of technical proficiency. Mm-hmm. So from those who really don't even know why I just mentioned ones and zeros to those who have come out of universities with PhDs in you know artificial intelligence and such. And, and we do that whole range. You know, and the last thing, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jennifer. If I'm, yep. you know, the last thing, because it's a very important one, but I'll, I'll be very quick, is that um, partnerships with industry are another piece of how we how we adapt and change. And and we've been working with industry for, for decades, but but still we recognize that 
this challenging mission, this new digital landscape, all of these various threats and challenges that are coming our way, they all mean that we need to find a better way to work with the private sector. And so that is an area of real intense focus for us as well. You know, when you're when you were talking, it strikes me that if you're the CIA and we're talking about data and analysis and artificial intelligence, I mean, you're talking about data sets that the, my mind cannot comprehend. You're talking about global data sets, right? And I was thinking about the tradecraft and the way of doing business that exists and this notion of helping people to improve their digital literacy or their digital IQ. And I was wondering before we jump to the next question real quickly, which is, what's it like when you have a grizzled veteran? Maybe she has operated in hotspots across the world and she's been operating for decades. And then it's a, oh, okay, now you need to do all of this digital stuff. What can that response be like? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And it it has made for some some amusing uh, discussions in our organization. So um, I, you know, I I have a lot of friends, just like you described, right? Grizzled old veterans. um, You know, we sit around and curmudgeonly fashion and talk about the good old days and how things used to be. Um, But what's really interesting is that... um, a, we've we've put in place these these changes, these new capabilities, new strategy, etc. Okay, so that's one piece. But B, frankly, the mission is pulling us in organically, anyways. Uh, like we've got to do these things to win. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had a meeting with the the person you described uh, is recently retired, one of the most grizzled old veteran, not old, but grizzled veterans. Um, very traditional, has done the hardest jobs in the hardest places around the world, mm-hmm. has has sacrificed extraordinary um, amounts for for his commitment you know, to America. And, and that sounds, again, really corny, but people believe that and think that way. And and he is one of the most um, one of the most, I don't know, like like audacious and bold and. Um, compelling leaders but with this more traditional mindset. And the two of us found ourselves in meetings talking about data environments and data science. Mm. And we both stopped at one point. We said, when did this happen, yeah. right? Here are these two kind of you know silverbacks in the organization who are sitting here talking about data science and data environments and new tools and algorithms. And wow, you know how things have changed. Mm-hmm. All the old stuff we still do but we need all of this new capability to make it happen. And so even those of us who've been around for a little while, um, you know, either we've studied and we're part of this new organization as I am, or the mission's just pulling you in this direction and you realize you have to get the data right if you want to win. Interesting. There's just no avoiding it. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I have listened to some of your talks in the past where you talk about speed of mission. Yeah. <laughs> and could you explain to our listeners, please, what you mean by it? And you're already alluding to some of that, but what do we mean yeah. by speed of mission? You know, it, it, maybe it goes back to um, something you said earlier, which is, you know, we are we are under some form of attack all day, every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, certainly cyber, right? It's, it's an all day event. Um, but when you talk about speed, it's interesting, right? There's this interesting dynamic because CIA is an organization that was created to to provide strategic insight and strate- you know, avoid strategic surprise, and that that you know that implies a certain kind of long range frame of reference, you know, um, time, you know, thoughtful consideration, all that stuff which we do. Mm-hmm. DDI is also supposed to be leveraging the digital landscape, which is transforming dramatically even as we speak. And so there's that that speed aspect. And somehow we are we're trying to balance those two things, leverage all this cool stuff today, you know, protect against it being used against us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, while still focusing on the big strategic questions that matter. And so and we're talking about this speed of mission, it really just means that we have to outpace our adversaries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 
we have some really formidable opponents in the digital landscape. And um, you could name them off the top of your head, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And so it's no surprise uh, to, to anyone who's listening in. Um, so, but we really have to be able to understand them, to study their activities, um, to understand their capabilities and their plans and their intentions. Um, and while we're doing that, because obviously we need to understand how they might be using all that against us mm-hmm. or our allies. And while we're doing all that, we have to develop all those capabilities to be used for our mission. You know, we need to be able to leverage our data. We need to be able to maximize the information we get from it. Mm-hmm. And, and innovation is really, really critical for us. And it's not just a buzzword, although, you know, I've been to plenty of conferences and seminars where, you know, it just, it does sound a little bit like a buzzword, but yes. it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. And, and, you know, we need this this spirit of kind of creativity and ingenuity um, and resourcefulness um, to make it happen. And so we do talk a lot about that. We recruit great people, we support them, we give them the tools and resources they need, um, and then we unleash them. And that's, you know, a part of kind of staying abreast of all these new developments. And yeah. we have to be able to... <sighs> Anticipate. Now, I'm not saying we're, we're fortune tellers or, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a futurist or something, but but really we have to know enough about the issues, enough about our adversaries to anticipate where things are going. We've got amazing analysts, the best in the world, mm-hmm. who can help us frame those those ideas and those discussions. But But we really want to be able to forecast what's on the horizon and predict, you know, what is that next big threat or opportunity for us? And and I mention this because A, it's it's an important part of kind of staying abreast of our mission, but B, because just this year, CIA hired its first ever, which you know surprises people, but our first ever chief technology officer. Mm-hmm. One of whose responsibilities is that, you know, help us understand what's just over the horizon out of our field of vision. Yeah. Um, because we are very focused on today. We're very focused on tomorrow, but we never really had somebody focused on beyond tomorrow. And that's what our new chief technology officer is doing. And the last thing I'll mention is, is just agility, right? We, we're a pretty adaptable organization and we have to remain flexible and be willing to, you know, change things up. If it's not, if something's not working, mm-hmm. if the organizational structure doesn't work, we're going to change it. If somebody is not doing a good job, we'll get somebody else. Right. Um, we have to be adaptable and, um, and we also have to, and this is kind of the dry stuff that nobody talks about, but we also have to innovate and be agile in the way we do our own business. Yeah. So there's all the cool, sexy stuff that people want to talk about, and it is really fun, exciting, and um, high impact. But we also have to think about, like, how do we write contracts? How do we buy stuff? Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, accredit for security? How do we test things to make sure they don't break our systems? You know, all this stuff. And, yes. And here we are in the digital era, and yet we're still following practices that were put in place for the best of reasons, the best of intentions, mm-hmm. but practices put in place during the hardware era, right? And and we are we can't move at the speed we need to if we're pulling with us like all this legacy hardware thinking. And so, you know, somehow you know, we're working on that. We're working systematically on it, but that that really does have to change if we are going to win. And I want to win. <laughs> so, I, I, a couple of thoughts, uh, and it's so interesting. The Cliff and I were at South by Southwest last year, and we were interviewing a lot of folks for this show. And I think on day two, somebody sent out. It was kind of a comical yet true article that said innovation has been mentioned six hundred and fifty thousand oh. times already. I bet. It's such a buzzword, yet I get you take it very seriously as far as how do we create new ideas, new approaches, entrepreneurial approaches, and this notion of speed. So with that said, Jennifer, what are the toughest challenges on a daily basis that you face in doing that? Because the the vision strikes me as spot on, yet, wow. I mean, I worked and I'm very proud of my service (laughs) at the agency. And I remember the brilliant people, the strong personalities, right? So what are, what some are you of- saying? We have strong personality. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever met anybody that wasn't, uh, frankly, yeah, there at my great. friends to this day. So yeah. what are some of the challenges in really trying to achieve this vision? Yeah. 
Well, you know, we talk about challenges. Um, okay, we are the CIA, so mostly the day is all about challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll just put that aside. Um, but if I if I just think about DDI, right? And I think about this digital landscape. Mm-hmm. I think we share a challenge that every large organization and every large multinational company has. And that is really this explosion in volume and variety of data mm-hmm. and, and kind of, and all that fueled by technological advancement. And, and this has really changed the intelligence landscape in, in much the same way it's changed our, our global economy and how we do business. And so that is, that is a challenge. And so if if we're going to collect information, then we darn well better use it, right? Mm -hmm. Do something to take this, this, what is just data. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but just data. It's not even information and information is not even yet insight. Like how do we get there? And so I think if we talk about briefly about open source, it's a good example because Mm -hmm. open source intelligence or OSINT as we call it, right? Um, it is our int of first resort, right? It's the foundation for everything. Mm-hmm. And it is just so rich with data. I mean, we've seen you know, exponential increases and we've seen figures cited, and I'm sure you've heard them too, like all the information in the world, um, you know, 90% of all the information ever produced in the world has been produced in the last two years. It's unbelievable. Uh, through data, yeah. not information. Because again, data is not information, yes. but, but stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so- um, the open source arena is is a great example of like, how do you leverage all that? And so for us, just because of the sheer volume and because we can't ever, we will never have, you know, a massive army of people like, you know, tagging data and, you know, reviewing it live in real time. We just will never have that many people. Right. When I, I'm a visual person. So I think of these graphs and the plotting of the volumes of data. We'll just never have that. And so we have to leverage machines, and that means artificial intelligence and machine learning in this case. Um, and so we really need to accelerate those efforts. Now, don't get me wrong. A lot has happened. We're doing some really exciting work in this space, but but we have to accelerate those efforts because mm-hmm. newsflash, our adversaries are. And you know, we are not alone in this, in this race, right? It, it is a bit of a race. And so... Our partners in that race are the U.S. private sector, and I—that's a little different than, say, you know, the '50s, the '60s, and the '70s, when a lot of new technology was being developed by, you know, the defense industry, by the intelligence industry, and then eventually transitioned to the private sector. Mm-hmm. You know, we're in this really dynamic, fast-moving space now, where that's hap- that's originating in the private sector, and so we've got to learn how kind of to be that fast follower and to work with industry really tightly mm-hmm. um, to leverage the best of American ingenuity to apply to, you know, this, this data challenge, you know, human machine partnering. And so that's, that's one of our, our challenges. And I'm so if I can jump in there for a second, Jennifer, the it's fascinating open source years ago, mm-hmm. dare I say was not held in the same regard and at the same priority level, right? It was, uh, oh yeah, there's open source. And so I think about all of this information and you're talking about Mm -hmm. these partnerships from a partnering point of view with industry. Mm -hmm. A lot of folks, they have views of government where they say, wow, they're not as agile and nimble as they need to be in that partnership. How are you kind of bridging that gap to, to really again, move at the speed of mission? Well, you know, it, it, it's a it's a good question, right? We have our our goals. I'm not going to say that you know we we've we've shed 75 years of bureaucratic process right. and that now you know we are we are flying free and un, unencumbered, right? Um, but but we really are trying to move more more rapidly, and and partly this is a function of those partnerships with with industry, mm-hmm. right? It's a very different approach in the digital landscape. And so that that kind of pulls us along if we're doing our jobs well, which I, I hope we are, and I think we are. Um, and um, again, I think it's, it's mission, right? It's changing so rapidly. We either change and succeed or we don't change and we fail. And so... Um, it's a pretty simplistic answer, but I, th- I think that's kind of where, where we are. Um, and you know what? I see people in industry that share that too. Yeah. A lot of folks that previously worked with, whether it's CIA or they were Army, Air Force, 
And they do have that. And I think sometimes recognizing that both are trying to get to the same place yeah, that's right. can be so important. But, you know, you talk yep. about, and a lot we've been thinking about optimizing the organization for modern and future mm-hmm. threats. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, Jennifer, it kind of made me think there's this famous Peter Drucker quote and some claim it wasn't Drucker's, that it was attributed to another great, brilliant person, but that culture eats strategy for breakfast, that, you know, the plans hit this buzzsaw of cultural challenge. So I'd love to get your thoughts on what, what really is the mindset or the culture that you're looking to develop, again, to further this mission of moving faster on our data goals, mission goals, really achieving that vision? It's a good question. And, um, I think when I came into this job, I probably underestimated the role of culture, mm. right? Um, I was very focused on on technological transformation, digital transformation. And, and as I have met with more leaders in this industry, both in the private sector and across the U.S. government and in academia, I've realized that, you know, the technology piece some days is the easy part. Mm-hmm. And it really is about culture. And, and so here's an interesting thing that um, an interesting strength or an advantage that we have in DDI. So, you know, we we were just created a few years ago. And so we were able to actually choose, right? Mm. What culture do we want? What do we want to emphasize? What do we want to value? Because we brought all these organizations together from disparate parts of this large agency. Mm -hmm. So they were otherwise not directly connected and each came with their own kind of history and legacy and traditions. So we got to consciously choose what do we want to value mm. and, and at the heart of your question about um uh, culture and I, I don't mean to backtrack but i but i do want to recognize that um what we've learned is that we can no longer operate efficiently or effectively in a traditional hierarchical structure mm. and um because su- success against any intelligence challenge we face today, and I cannot think of one, trust me, I have tried, success against any intelligence challenge we face today requires this, this integration across what could otherwise be vertical silos mm-hmm. in any agency, department, you know, you name it. Yes. Um, and so, again, back to creating our own culture, we very intentionally have focused on three, three key things, but then there are a number of core values, but um, integration, innovation, and inclusivity. And so back to the seven years ago, we created mission centers and, um, and a new directorate. Well, the mission centers were created to uh, promote integration. The mission center is where you're able to bring capabilities from all across the in- organization, all across the enterprise, bring them together into an integrated team working against a specific mission challenge. Mm-hmm. So that is something that we had traditionally always done in our field stations around the world, right? You, If you play an away game, you play as a team or you lose. Yes. And so, you know, we were able to bring that concept to Washington or to our headquarters area to create mission centers. Um, and we created this directorate. And this directorate, which I've described in terms of the functions, um, our mission is really to work at this intersection of traditional human intelligence, technical intelligence, and digital and cyber intelligence. And that requires integration. So integration is a guiding principle for us, and it has to drive everything we do because there's nothing we do alone. It's mm-hmm. with other partners across the organization. Mm-hmm. And innovation, again, yes, we, you know, we talked about that. It, it was buzzword said, you know, how many thousands of times <laughs> at South, Southwest, but um it is a real thing and it has to be a real thing. Yeah. We have to make it a real thing if it's not. And so what I would maybe comment on very briefly is a key aspect of this, right? You need leaders who are going to lead effectively in that space. Mm-hmm. And they can't just, you know, spout off, you know, um, platitudes about innovation. Um, digital leadership is a little different and it's a little slightly different or uh, there are skills that supplement what we would consider to be more traditional leadership um, acumen. Mm -hmm. So in addition to all the normal stuff that we demand in our leaders, right? We demand integrity and good communication and empathy and a strategy and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. We need all that still. Right. We also need people who are going to, you know, break barriers, challenge assumptions, who are going to have a, a, bias for action, because this is a landscape that's moving rapidly, and we have to move with it. Mm. 
we have to be willing to take risk. And now, okay, it is the CIA. We're all about taking risk. But that's different when you're talking about big technology programs. We have to take risk. We have to experiment. And sometimes the hardest thing, and this comes with it, we have to accept smart failure along the way. Mm. We have to accept that we're going to try something, we're going to fail, we're going to learn from it, and we're going to move on. And those are not skills that everyone that everyone has in equal measure. So talk about integration and innovation. Mm-hmm. And the last one is in inclusion or inclusivity, but it's really all about those two things, right? Our, our, our intelligence problems are so complex today, so, so weighty, so challenging that we really need to bring every possible perspective. And, and we find that sometimes the, the, the most interesting flashes of insight come from partners with a very different perspective. So we need to bring in every perspective um, to assist in our, our problem solving. I um, loved where you started there, Jennifer, yeah. on this notion of grounded in specific mission challenges, right? Yeah. Because I have seen so many across my years in government, in industry, where we have great ideas, but if they're not <laughs> applied, if they're not grounded, right, there's yeah, just yeah. no way to actually make progress. And so much of what you were talking about, I work with clients daily and I help them on the communication side and the messaging and the storytelling, but I'm helping them convert technology into humanized solutions. Mm-hmm. And so much of it, it sounds to me, again, it's that human aspect and also, I kind of heard an agile, minimal viable product type mentality. Is yeah. is that a fair comment on what you were saying? Yeah, I think it is. Um, absolutely. And so, you know, we we are uh, increasingly working in sort of um, an unclassified laboratory environment, you know, piloting new capabilities and trying to do that rapidly, trying to apply you know, a new technology to, let's say, a sanitized mission uh, problem, Mm -hmm. right? Because everything we do is relatively sensitive. But trying to do that in an unclassified environment where we can move quickly, you know, decide, does it work? Do you have a minimal viable product or not? And if we do, then that helps us make much more uh, timely decisions about technology. It helps kind of lead the way, how do we choose where we're going to invest our time and energy? How do we fail um, smartly in the sense that it's it's smaller, it's rapid, we're not expending tons of time, energy, mm-hmm. and money um, in order to learn a basic lesson, but we are learning that lesson. So we are thinking a lot more and trying to do this in an unclassified environment where we have greater agility. Yeah. And it's such an interesting problem set, of course, mm-hmm. of the classification, the criticality of right. it, yet trying to bring in others where appropriate and sanitize. Some folks may not know that you worked for years as an operator. And I think about it, you made the assertion, and I remember back in my days when we called it the DI and being taught how to make an assertion and mm-hmm. writing the President's Daily Brief, but you made an assertion that this isn't just technology. And you've got a fascinating background, and you operated mm-hmm. as an operator in the Directorate of Operations. How did that really influence your perspective yeah and ability to run the directorate of digital intelligence? It, it, it's, it's a good question. I'm, I'm kind of glad you asked it because it has, it has affected, it has influenced everything about how I lead uh, DDI. So, you know, I did come through this role through a non-traditional path and uh, many, many, many years um, in CIA's directorate of operations. And that trajectory included um, a couple key assignments that have had a great influence on how I how I lead DDI. Um, one of those roles in the past was overseeing CIA's engagements with the private sector. That was many years ago. Mm. Um, and then um, four times I've served as chief of station. And that's a role where you really experience um, the true power of integration and partnerships and innovation um, and just problem solving, right, as a team. Mm-hmm. And so to be successful as a chief of station, it requires a number of things. It requires strategy. You need to know what you're, where you're heading, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to accomplish, uh, a bias for action, uh, an inclusive culture where, you know, everyone can bring their best mission because you fight with the team you have, mm-hmm. right? You don't get to 
team up a different team. You fight with the team you have. And so you need to understand all the skills and you know, expertise and knowledge that people bring. So you get to know your team and you apply those skills in interesting new ways. You have to be able to build deep and meaningful partnerships. And so that's within the national security community, across an embassy environment, um, and with foreign governments, really importantly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something I always talk about, but you have to to be kind of an optimist, right? You have to believe that, you know, you can do something that's otherwise uh, pretty daunting, and most people would think potentially impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, You must be comfortable with risk. You have to, you know, understand that risk is... um, Sometimes very, very high risk is just part of the business. Uh, you have to learn very fast from failure because, you know, the same mistake twice and you're out of business. But mm-hmm. you learn fast and you have to continually innovate. And and if all that sounds familiar based on what we were just talking yeah. about for DI, it's very similar. It's pretty much the same skills applied in a technology environment. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, all those years in the Directorate of Operations and all those many years as a chief of station in the field, in essence, that role is kind of integrator in the field, bringing all these things together, mixing them up in new ways and, you know, ideally creating something magical where yes. you can unlock success against something truly, truly difficult. And and it turns out, as I mentioned a moment ago, this is DDI's mission. Mm-hmm. Right to blend digital, human, and technical intelligence um, operations at scale mm-hmm. and at the speed of mission, meaning human-machine partnering. And so, if I if this background has affected my leadership at DDI, I would say that it has um, caused me to focus in really intensely on integration urgency, and the practical application of technology to real mission problems. Mm-hmm. Something you mentioned a moment ago, Eric. It's like, get real stuff done, do it today, and do it as a team. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> it, it's so interesting. And I think about so much of what Cliff and I are ded- dedicated to is mission storytelling and getting this message yeah. out there of, of what you're doing, the incredibly important mission the the attitude and the work that you're doing going forward. And I must I must say, I wish, and I know we can't, I have had the opportunity over the years to sit with people like yourself in the appropriate settings where all the classifications yeah. people were read in and talk about some of the things that you did. And it's mind-blowing. And I wish our listeners could get an understanding. It actually blows away the movies. You know, yeah, there's all of that crazy stuff. But when you're looking at the car chases and that sort of thing. (laughs) Right. But but the real problem sets, the gravity of it, the importance of it for our national security. And and certainly, Jennifer, it seems to me what has to be intertwined, of course, you as a person, the adrenaline handling that pressure, the toughness that you develop. I mean, that Mm -hmm. has to help you today as well. But I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, you know, it's you gain perspective over time, mm-hmm. right? And and I don't mean to minimize any problems, but there's there's real drama and there's fake drama, mm-hmm. and you know a lot of a lot of what happens in Washington is pretty much fake, manufactured drama. Um, and so, um, again, I don't mean to minimize it, but when somebody approaches me, you know, breathless with some urgent challenge. Um, I have to admit, I, I often ask two questions. Is anyone dead and is anyone in jail? And if the answers are no, I say, okay, just pause for a moment. Let's talk. Yeah. Right. And right, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it. But what I'm just suggesting is that, um, and I've said this already, risk is the defining characteristic of the CIA. Mm-hmm. If the CIA cannot manage risk, the CIA could not be the CIA. That is what we do every single day. Whether you are an analyst creating, you know, kind of a touch, tough judgment on what you think an adversary is going to do, mm-hmm. or you are an operations officer on the street of a hostile capital, you know, meeting a sensitive source, doing so um, in very dangerous circumstances, or you are working with military partners in a war zone or if you are developing new technology that may cost a lot of money um, uh, and you know, in 
incur a lot of risk. Every single thing we do is about risk. And so we have to just be able to exist in that. And, and I will say, and this reminds me of one thing, but if we talk about things that might be surprising to those who work outside the agency, um, we do focus a lot on wellness, on resiliency, mm. you know, having that, that store of, of, of strength and calm, the, the things that get you through those very difficult moments. And it is, it is an area of um, really strong focus at CIA to ensure that the workforce can, you know, be healthy and well mm-hmm. and thrive um, even while working in what many would consider a fairly extreme career. Mm-hmm. Well, I certainly, Jennifer, appreciate you talking with us today and, and sharing your insights. And I know your schedule is incredibly packed, but really appreciate your dedication to the mission and everything that you and your team are doing. Uh, we're just excited to be part of getting this story out there. So, Eric, it has been my pleasure, really. I'm just so delighted to have had a little time to talk to you today. Trust me, this will be the best hour of my day. (laughs) (laughs) um, But I just want to thank you for the invitation and for the opportunity to share just a little bit about some of the really cool stuff that CIA is working on. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jennifer, and I hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks so much. So great to talk with Jennifer, and I loved the insight. And I thought it was so interesting that there's real drama and there's fake drama. And that understanding, that maturity that Jennifer has and that skill set is allowing her to let's be candid do a very tough job. I guarantee you driving the change that she and her team are doing has a lot of challenges. But if you've been out in the real mission, in the real difficult areas, you're able to get it done because you have the right skills, you have the right capacity. I also love the perspective of a collision of ideas and backgrounds and perspectives. It's kind of like Medici meets CIA. Technology, human perspectives, creativity, crashing those together to drive change at the speed of mission. Love it. As always, hit us up on social media. Would love to get your thoughts. This is an incredibly important mission. And the last thing I would say is people like Jennifer have the courage to be different. We need more of that out there in our partnerships with industry, in new ways to acquire capabilities, in new ways to take risks. Love the focus on taking smart risks, new ways to change our mindsets, to get things done for these missions. GovCon Different. Ideas from the outside applied to GovCon to drive change. It's like TED Talks meets the federal space. Different ideas from different industries, uncovered, unvarnished, and smashed together to produce change in the government space. Join us as we explore a world of GovCon possibilities.